0: Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth podcast, the Don't You Forget About Me edition, as we take an in-depth look at one of the top prospects in this year's draft, Florida tight end Kyle Pitts. I've done entire episodes about Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase. Now it's the case for Team Pitts. Coming up, you'll hear from his high school coach, Steve Devlin, the voice of the Florida Gators, Mick Hubert, NFL Network draft expert, Daniel Jeremiah, and Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus, who explains why he has the Bengals taking pits in his latest mock draft. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since... The Bengals' new uniforms. I attended the unveiling of the new unis on Monday, and here are a few of my observations. For years, my favorite Bengals uniform has been the White Tiger Color Rush, so the fact that the new uniforms are largely inspired by that sleek, sharp look is a home run for me. My favorite combo is the orange jersey with the black pants. But, if I was going to buy a jersey, I would start with a white. And finally, putting Paul Brown's signature on the inside of the collar is genius. Having said all of that, I've reached the age where uniforms just don't matter all that much to me. It's not like I wear one in the broadcast booth. But I have a 14-year-old son who is obsessed with uniforms, and that's the target audience that matters. When I texted him a picture of the uni shortly after the unveiling, he responded with three words. They look fantastic. It looks like we'll be spending some time and money in the Bengals Pro Shop. Now, time to shine the spotlight on Kyle Pitts. The 20-year-old tight end, who was born three days before Panay Sewell, played at Florida, but is from Philadelphia. He helped lead Archbishop Wood High School to back to back state championships as a junior and senior under head coach Steve Devlin. Steve, do you remember your initial impressions of Kyle? Uh, I remember
1: after seeing him the first practice, seeing how athletic he was, I, I, I knew he was something special. And, and uh, he's a, a hard worker and he has a great work ethic. And, and I knew that would pay off for him. And I knew that uh, his desire and his his ability to just outwork everybody was going to pay off for him one day. And, and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I couldn't imagine, you know, I I knew he'd play on Sundays. I knew he's that special, but I didn't know that, you know, he was going to be uh, top five, top ten draft pick. uh, That's the credit to him and and what
0: he's done. Describe his personality and how he interacted with teammates and coaches.
1: He's a great person. Kyle was was the ultimate teammate, never put anybody – uh, below him. He, he treated everybody. Uh, as an equal. he was a great teammate, supporting people, uh, helping the young guys, hanging out with guys, you know, joking around, you know, in the office before practice, or before lift. Uh, just a tremendous teammate and, and um, you know, really was the leader uh,
0: of our team. We are talking to Steve Devlin, who is Kyle Pitt's high school coach. I know he played both ways in high school, as you know, most great players do at that age. It sounds like he was every bit as good as a defensive end as he was as an offensive weapon.
1: Yeah, you know, in high school he was such a great athlete that he was a mismatch not only on the offensive side but on the defensive side because of his athletic ability. And you know, funny stat: uh, his senior year, you know, he won the state championship his junior year. They beat, uh, you know, would beat Michael Parsons his junior year to win a state championship, and then senior year we played gateway from pittsburgh and he not only had a touchdown reception but he had two interceptions in the game
0: (laughs) not too bad do you have a favorite kyle pitt story coach
1: yeah there were so many different plays that stand out on both sides of the ball i mean um you know that senior year that that last game of his senior year his last high school game with his teammates and buddies i mean he goes out and you know, scores a touchdown, has two interceptions. I think he had a sack as well, a bunch of TFLs. Uh, he was just, he was just awesome. And, and his junior year, I do know, you know, Michael Parsons was playing for Harrisburg High School, and he ran outside zone, and Kyle was there waiting for him and, and picked him up, slammed him to the ground. I I, uh, I remember that vaguely. So I mean, it's uh you know, he has so many great plays, but probably I remember more about Kyle as just the person he was, jokes and the time you spent off the field with him, and the time you watched them with his teammates. And, and uh, you know, he's just a great character person.
0: We're talking to Steve Devlin, who is Kyle Pitts' high school coach, now a college coach at Ursinus College. What was recruiting like with Kyle Pitts?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, you know, everybody in the country was down looking at him. And, and you know, we had some – I've been through that a few times with some guys prior, uh, Colin Thompson – uh, played down in Florida, ended up going to Temple. Was an all-league kid at Temple. playing with the Carolina Panthers now. You know, Ryan Bates played for me. Started at Penn State. Now with the Buffalo Bills playing no line. So I've had some guys that that everybody was looking at, but but Kyle was such an athlete that you know you had everybody SEC, Big Ten, everybody looking for him. He was you know in the Nike seven-on-seven seven circuits. He was. I coached him in the Under Armour All American game, where he was just a, a force down there. So, I mean, um, recruiting was was very busy, and, and uh, but I think Kyle fell in love with Florida, and that was always his, his school.
0: Did you feel like you were coaching a potential NFL great?
1: Um, I knew Kyle had the had the ability, and I knew he had the work ethic and the character to. Do everything he needs to do and put himself in the position to be as successful as he can be. And you know, obviously, you got to stay healthy and be lucky and and a little bit of that stuff. But talent-wise, absolutely, absolutely, a kid his size with his length and his athleticism and and you know, when I talk about people having strong hands and catching the ball and snatching the ball out of the out of the air, I mean, Kyle was something special. I mean. I even heard Dan Mullen, who, who obviously is uh, his college coach, who also is an Ursinus college graduate, by the way, but uh, he put on Twitter that um, he, he never, Kyle never dropped the pass in the red zone. So that, that's pretty impressive.
0: Final question for Steve Devlin, who coached Kyle Pitts in high school. You are obviously a little biased for this one, but if Kyle Pitts is available when the Bengals are on the clock with a fifth overall pick, what advice would you give them?
1: Hey, Kyle Pitts, he's a difference maker. There's, there's no doubt about it. And, and uh, you know, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna continue to work his tail off to, to be the best that he can be. And, and uh, I see nothing but great things for him in his future.
0: In three years with the Florida Gators, Pitts finished with 100 catches for nearly 1,500 yards. And this past season, he earned the John Mackey Award as the best tight end in the country as Kyle averaged nearly 18 yards a catch and hauled in 12 touchdowns in only eight games. Pitts finished 10th in the Heisman Trophy vote, becoming the first tight end to finish in the top 10 in 43 years. This week, I spoke to the longtime radio voice of the Florida Gators, Mick Hubert. Nick, you had the opportunity to watch Kyle Pitts for three seasons. Describe what you saw.
2: Well, it was great to see because when he came on, you know, he was a big kid, but wasn't all that polished per se. Uh, and so we didn't really know. But it didn't take long to see uh, that he was a real deal. Now, you know, he had, had a good first year and a really good second year and, and obviously a great third year. His second year was really impressive, and that's what set him up for the last year that he played. You know, he's 6'6". He played here at about 240. And so, you know, he, he was a guy that was just, you couldn't really cover him at the college level uh, because it was a mismatch problem no matter where he sat up. It was whether he had his hand in the ground, he was very effective at doing that. But he could, he could play on the slot. He could flex out. Uh, so he could go against a variety of defensive backs with, with, and he had leverage with his size and good hands and, and good speed. And he was a tough kid. So uh, he was really just a, a great surprise. And then, you know, last year in, in the opening game of the season, he, he really was magnificent. Uh, we, we, the SEC started uh, uh, September 26 last year. And that was, uh, was uh, a little late, but earlier than some of the other leagues. So we're playing at Ole Miss in the first game and you know he has eight catches 170 yards and four touchdowns in the first game and so you know that's kind of the standard he set for that that year and uh, he really really played consistently well each and every weekend
0: we are talking to mick hubert the radio voice of the florida gators what have his coaches told you about kyle as a teammate a leader etc
2: well, that that's another area where he's really excelled, is that uh, you know when you put up numbers like that on the field, it's 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 easy to get your people's attention. But then again, you know you, you can't fool others. You can't fool people, especially players. So when they see a guy working in practice as he did, and then going out and performing in games as he did, uh, they have great respect for that. And uh, he wasn't a guy that was overly loud and boisterous he was very intelligent kind of a measured guy so you know it wasn't like he was running his mouth wild all the time uh so when he spoke he he, he had the he had the uh, he had the ears of his teammates and then they really respected him off the field and uh, because he was a good he was a, it was a good uh a good teammate and he was also just a, a good person for the program so uh, he, he'd be Obviously, a guy that will certainly be missed and be very difficult to replace him. Uh, uh, you know, Dan Mullen has used the tight end very well in his offense, and, and we did have some success in, in in some of the times when Pitts was out with with a couple of injuries. Uh, other guys stepped up, but by no means were they going to be Kyle Pitts-like performances. But, uh, you know, the, he, he was fortunate to play for Dan Mullen in an offense where they utilized the tight end and was able to uh, showcase all of his abilities.
0: He is obviously a tremendous receiving threat. Can he block?
2: Well, that's the key. That's really key. He, he could in, in college. Uh, now he'll have to obviously take that blocking skill to a new level when he gets in the NFL. And so that will be the thing that uh, will, will be uh, in question at the outset. Uh, I, I certainly think when he, ha- the, he has the frame. He has the intelligence. So, you know, given time, uh, I, I think he'll be a fine blocker in the NFL. Uh, but I don't know that he's going to come in at, at, at 21 years old and start blocking guys that have been in the league seven or eight years and, and, and then say all of a sudden, you know, he's ready to take them on. Um, but he's it, not going to take too long because uh, he's going to get he's going to get bigger and stronger and, and, he, and he's got a good work ethic to do that. So, yes, I think he will be able to do that. Um, but I, I think that that 's the one thing that you would identify right out of the gate that uh, you know he 'll need to improve upon that probably which is not to say that he can 't do it uh, he He did it very well at the collegiate level um, but he he you know he, he didn 't play with his hand on the ground all the time that 's what i 'm saying he was a, he was he was in the slot a lot. Uh, and, and then he was a total mismatch for linebackers in trying to cover him there. And then when he got split out, he was used a lot of times as a wide receiver because he could, he could win all the 50-50 balls. So uh, he really displayed at, at this level a, a, great, uh, a great ability to, to, to play in that position uh, in a matter of different, different kinds of tight end positions.
0: We are talking to the great radio voice of the Florida Gators, Mick Hubert. The Bengals are also in the market for a deep threat wide receiver, and one of the fastest ones in this draft is another Gator, Kadarius Toney. I don't know if he'll still be there in round two, but what are his strengths and and what are some of the question marks with Kadarius?
2: Well, he's a guy that really did develop over the course of his four seasons. He came in as as just a speed guy uh, who had difficulty – catching the football not unlike a lot of guys who have great speed uh not that he was a a track sprinter that was trying to play football no that's not it but he had great speed but he just didn't he didn't have maybe the maturity when he was younger but he really transformed himself and i'm not i can't really pinpoint when but the light went off him at some point to hey i can do this for a career and i have to put all the childish things behind and i got to really apply myself and when he started doing that he became a totally different receiver especially that last year he was a guy that you we knew we could throw the ball deep he was going to go get it he was going to catch it now he's not six six like Kyle Pitts, he about six feet tall, but he was able to use. He had pretty good upper body strength. It was amazing how he developed his upper body, and you could see that development from, uh, you know, from his sophomore year to his senior year. He was totally a different looking player. So, you know, he averaged about 12 and a half yards every time he touched the ball, whether it was on a jet sweep or whether he was going deep. Uh, he was just a guy we needed to get the ball in his hands. And we had a pretty prolific offense last year with, with Pitts at the tight end and Tony going deep. And we had a couple other guys that are probably going to play in the NFL as well. So we, Kyle, Kyle Trask had great arsenal of receivers that he could throw it to, and we had a very prolific passing game last year. But Tony was a guy that really uh, uh, really raised a lot of eyebrows. That He had made probably the biggest jump of, of any of the receivers uh, to where he was, he was a bona fide deep threat that could catch the ball, and as opposed to just being kind of a one dimensional guy when he first came in, uh, basically a jet sweep and trying to get him ball in space, he wasn't a guy that was probably going to catch too many balls twenty five yards down the field. That totally changed by the time his senior year came around.
0: How is Tony as a return specialist?
2: Well, he's pretty good at doing that, also. Uh, you know that 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 was initially what. Uh, you know, they that was going to get him on the field really, uh, his special teams and doing that. So he he can do that because, he, but he's got pretty good hands to do that. He's got some toughness about him, like I said. So he, he's maximized his frame. Um, he's, not, he's not, you know, he's not five nine or five ten, uh, but he's not six, or 6'5 six, either. So he's, he's big, you know, at about six feet tall and, and maybe one hundred ninety five, maybe two hundred pounds. You know, he's, he's 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 big enough, I think, to be able to do that.
0: Mick, let me throw one more name at you, and this is a big target: another wide receiver that's expected to get taken somewhere in the middle rounds, Trayvon Grimes, who started out at Ohio State before transferring to Florida. 6'4", 220, ran a four-four-nine at his pro day. How does Trayvon Grimes look to you as an NFL prospect?
2: Well, that's a part of the, the the group of guys that I that I mentioned about the, the Gators being prolific on offense, but obviously. Uh, Kind of it drew so much attention, and then with the emerging of uh, Kadarius Tony going deep. Uh, wow! Then you've got a third guy like Trey Grimes out there, who's you mentioned six four and two twenty. So he's another big target. They can go up and win fifty fifty balls, and and you can throw him one on the sideline. He was going to get it. So he was in a perfect position because he had two other guys that were really good around him. Uh, Grimes, uh, we were glad to get him back. He was a Florida kid from Fort Lauderdale who went to Ohio State with Urban Meyer initially, and then and then came back and really played well played well for us and and he he had several games over 100 yards receiving uh but he was just he's in the right offense uh with the right group of personnel with with a quarterback uh that had all the ability to get him the football so i think trey grimes if he he can apply himself at the nfl level uh he'll have a chance to play I, i really believe that because we've had some guys that have gone out of here maybe with lesser numbers uh in college that are playing in the nfl and so uh, I think Grimes certainly has an opportunity because he's, he's got, I think, enough speed to do that. And again, he's got pretty good hands. And he uh, seems like he's a... a, a- pretty kind of locked in guy not not a guy that's you know you got to get his attention I, I think he that was also something that was really good uh, that he came back to us he had a little you know a transfer so he came back with a little bit of maturity knowing that uh, i've used the mulligan here and i, I you know if, if i'm going to play this game beyond the saturdays i i've got to apply it now's my time and i'm on a good program with a good coach and a good offense so i think he used the best of that to to, to make himself uh, ready to play in the nfl
0: Several Gators are going to get picked. Uh, I guess that's always the case. There's so much talent down there in Florida, and I really appreciate you sharing some information about those three guys. Thanks so much, Mick.
2: Dan, my pleasure. Thank you.
0: The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now time for the draft gurus to weigh in. Last month... I was among a group of reporters who took part in a conference call with Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network. I've edited the three questions he received about Kyle Pitts together, and it's worth noting that two of those questions came from Philadelphia before the Eagles traded the sixth pick in the draft to Miami. So keep in mind as you're listening that the Dolphins are now one spot behind Cincinnati and Philadelphia picks 12th. Here's Daniel Jeremiah Kyle
3: Pitts. I, I think you can make a strong case he's the best player in the draft. I mean, I, I have him as the third best player right now. When I update it, and I've seen a lot more you know, going through all these defensive players, and I, I just watched all these corners, and I'm watching these corners with first, second, third-round draft grades in the SEC, and they, have, they can't cover the guy. So you split him out, and I think if he was just in this draft as an ex-receiver, he's a top 10 or 15 pick if you've never even watched him put his hand in the ground. Um, there there's, there's at that size to be able to get in and out like he does is, is pretty rare, um, to turn guys inside out. If you you watch Kelsey and you'll see Kelsey run those pivot routes where he's so efficient and doesn't waste any steps, you see the same thing with pits. And then he has a bigger catch radius to go up over the top of people and make plays. So, um, to me it 's a matchup it 's a matchup that 's going to be in your favor every time you line up. The defense can 't be right against them no matter what you do. You know you put big guys out there he 's going to run away from them. Um, you put small guys out there he 's just going to pluck the ball off their head so um, that to me is what makes them special and, um, and I was talking to somebody in the league the other day about this. I thought it was a really fascinating point when if you're if you're the Eagles, for example, and you 're looking at uh, one of the top receivers uh, versus Kyle Pitts so when you look at receivers and tight ends look at the franchise number and look at the difference in money. I think there's a difference of like 6 million bucks. So not only do you have a rare mismatch player that's hard to find, once you get to the second contract, he's going to be extremely affordable compared to if you're going to take a receiver with that same pick. So you're getting the same level of impact without having to pay that same level of cost. Um, to me, I think that could be something that could be a tiebreaker when you're making that decision. Uh,
0: Daniel, uh... I'm going to give you a few players. If you were the Eagles, you're on the clock at six. Uh, and you've mentioned all the players, uh, Pitts, uh, waddle, uh, Jamar chase, uh, and maybe I think Smith would probably be for whatever reason, not net mix and any offensive or defensive lineman. Who would you take at that position?
3: I, I would take Pitts. Um, I would, I I think it's a no, I think it's a no brainer. I think it's a, we've talked about how high the ceiling is with him. I mean, I think he can emerge as uh, the best tight end in the national football league. He's that, that, that type of dynamic ability. And I think when you have Jalen hurts and you want to see what he can do, and now you've got Kyle Pitts and you've got Goddard, you've got two guys that can really uncover um, and you're going to have favorable matchups right in the middle of the field if you want them, uh, those can be some easy completions. So uh, to me, that one would make the most sense for them, and I think it would make their offense uh, the most dangerous. I have Jamar Chase, and, and I have the same grade with Pitts, but to me, if you wanted to find a receiver, another receiver, to you know, kind of come along some of these other young guys you're hoping are going to develop, um, I think you've got better options for some of those receivers later rounds than you would at the tight end position. This, this Kyle Pitts is a rare dude. I don't know how much blocking he did at Florida, but how do you evaluate him as a blocker at the tight end position? Yeah. And uh, depending how he does in that department, could you foresee a scenario where maybe he uh, gets moved to receiver full time in the NFL? And then finally, is there any concern about a player kind of coming back to play for his hometown team, like, like Pitts would be doing in this case, if he were to come to Philadelphia, the times you worry about guys coming back home or if they have any type of character, Concerns, or they've had trouble, and by all accounts, um, that, that I, everything I've got on Kyle Pitts is that it's out. He's outstanding from a makeup character standpoint, so that would not be concerning at all to me. Um, so I'll start there. As a blocker, when you watched him in 2019, I thought he was willing, but I thought he was really flimsy and just got thrown around, as you can imagine. A tall, lean guy, he really struggled. I thought he was much better this year to the point where I thought he was functional. He's not, he's not, you know, he's not a killer. Um, he's not going to put anybody in the hospital as a blocker, but he's, he's functional. He can wall guys off and you can use him there uh, teams to me, you know, if you wanted to just primarily use him as an X receiver, no problem. He could do that right now and be really good at it. Um, sometimes I think it's kind of funny. Like if I'd have to look it up, but um, like uh, Gesicki with the dolphins, he still has TE next to his name. I don't know how many times he was attached last year, but uh, you might be able to count him on two hands. Um, he was always uh, detached, and so uh, to me, that's I would be trying to use this kid that way. Um, just flex him out and use him. And then uh, some games you want to split him out. Some guys you want to use him in the slot. You want to, you know, you can get him in line if you get if you get them to go small. That's what's so great about him is that you get them to go small. Yeah, he can uh, he he can hold his own and, and shield guys off as, as a run blocker, but. I'd much rather be throwing him the ball. I'll put it this way. Kyle Pitts will be much more popular in the quarterback room than he will be in the running back room. For what it's worth,
0: in his most recent mock draft done two weeks ago, Jeremiah has the Bengals selecting Kyle Pitts, with Jamar Chase going 6th to Miami and Panay Sewell going ninth to Denver. Our final expert is pro football focus analyst Austin Gale, who previously joined me for our deep dive look at Panay Sewell. In his latest mock draft, he also has the Bengals selecting Kyle Pitts. Austin, let's start with PFF's assessment of Kyle Pitts. Where does he rank among tight ends in the PFF era?
4: Kyle Pitts might be the best tight end prospect we've seen in the PFF college era that dates back to 2014. PFF started grading all college football players in 2014, and he had not only the highest grade of any tight end we've seen in the single season, but the highest grade of any offensive player. Like that's how good he was in 2020. I do think that the production, you know, matches what he is as a prospect from a traits and measurables perspective. Really big wingspan, touch radius, contested catchability, a legit athlete at his size, you know, a legitimate tight end, one type of size. And I think he is in that conversation to immediately enter the NFL and be, you know, top five at his position. Right now, in my opinion, there are only really three game-changing, game-defining tight ends in the NFL. George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, and Darren Waller. I think Zach, um, Kyle Pitts can enter that conversation right out of the gate. That's how good he is. I think his comparison in PFF's draft guide is Darren Waller. I think he's going to be used very similarly. He's going to play on the outside, play in the slot, play in line tight end, dominate in one-on-one coverage, require the attention of safeties, linebackers, and corners, and the defense coordinator as well. And all that combined – with the fact that it's a scarce position of talent. There is not a lot of talented tight ends in the NFL. Like I just said, only three really game-defining tight ends. There's a difference between positional value in the NFL and positional scarcity. Overall, on average, the tight end position is not nearly as valuable as offensive tackle, wide receiver, corner, quarterback, obviously those things. However, the high end, the peak of the tight end position, is more valuable than the average to above average of other positions because of that positional scarcity because there's only a handful of good tight ends in the nfl all
0: right so that you might have just answered my next question but in your most recent mock draft you had the bengals picking pits even though jamar chase and panay sewell were still available on the board if they go offensive weapon instead of offensive lineman, why pits over chase
4: I think it comes back to that positional scarcity. I think the ceiling you get with Kyle Pitts is potentially better than the ceiling you get with Taneh or Jamar Chase. I think you have to view all three players as blue chip prospects, guys that if they hit the high side of their projection will be legitimate game changers in the NFL. My favorite high side is Kyle Pitts. You know, Kyle Pitts' ceiling projection is the most impactful, in my opinion. I think it was close between Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase because you also have to factor in the chemistry he has with Joe Burrow. What he did at 19 years old in the SEC, you know, catching passes further downfield, he, you know, he'll have a higher average depth of target than Kyle Pitts will in the NFL. That is obviously more valuable in uh, in the passing game. So I think it's I split hairs between Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase. I think I side with Kyle Pitts, knowing that you know Kyle Pitts can come in very quickly and be a top five player at his position. I still think Jamar Chase, especially after opting out of the 2020 season, could he develop into a top five, top eight receiver in the NFL? Absolutely, but I do think his median or slightly above average projection is probably in that wide receiver eight to wide receiver 12 range, potentially until his third or fourth season. But I think with Kyle Pitts, he immediately enters that conversation to be one of the best in his position.
0: We are talking to Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. In the first two years of the Zach Taylor era, the Bengals have gone with three wide receivers and one tight end more than any other NFL team. Would Kyle Pitts be as valuable to Cincinnati as he would be to another team?
4: That's a good question. You know, they do run a ton of eleven personnel, and I do think that he is the massive upgrade over who they've ran at tight end in the past. He, Uzama, Drew Sample. He is different. He is two standard standard deviations different compared to those players and what he adds there. And I do think that what's interesting is that you know Cincinnati's offense likes to attack the middle of the field. You know, with Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, even working the middle of the field. Kyle Pitts is going to own that area. Which. Where Cincinnati needs to look next. And I know, obviously, if you take Kyle Pitts at number five overall, you immediately look at the offensive line, try and get upgrades on the interior, even depth behind Riley Reef and John Williams. But you also need speed, man. And I don't think it would be smart to take the speed guy in the second round. I think there's opportunities at speed, you know, for speed wide receivers, deep threats, vertical threats in round three and round four, even day three, looking at guys like Tutu Atwell of Louisville, Jalen Darden of North Texas um a handful of other guys that matter Baybay of illinois guys that have like legitimate downfield threat downfield speed that Joe Burrow can hit in stride down the football field. Cause I do think that this offense bar none needs an injection of what they thought John Ross could be. Like there is just not enough speed on this offense, even adding Jamar Chase, who at his pro day ran in the four threes. He is not a pure speed threat. He's great at winning down the football field, great ball skills, great contested catchability, but he's not a burner. He's not a Wolf Fuller. He's not a Henry Ruggs. He's not a Jalen Waddle. What you need in this offense, in my opinion, is one of those guys to really take the top off to again, Open up the middle of the field, force defenses to play deeper in their coverage, and that type of stuff.
0: Is part of the calculation for you in advocating for Pitts and some of your colleagues who are pushing for Jamar Chase the fact that it is a deep offensive line draft and they ought to be able to get a competent starter in round two. One
4: hundred percent. I think that's part of it. I also think that you know the the best you know top a top three tackle in the NFL is not as valuable as a top three tight end in the NFL. You know, a good, you know, you don't need to be elite at any position along the offensive line. You just need to be average to slightly above average. You can't have any weak links. You talk to defensive coordinators around the league, and they talk about you can't have obvious weak links in your offensive line. It doesn't matter if you have, you know, um, Orlando Brown at left tackle, if your guards are Billy Price and, and um, you know, um, the other guys that they started last year. I can't even think of some of the names that they rotated into interior offensive line. But like, if you have weak links on the interior offensive line, it doesn't matter if you have a gold jacket at left tackle. You need to be average to above average every position. I think with the addition of Riley Reif, who in no way is an elite opposite tackle, I wouldn't even say he's top 15 at his position, still get closer to average along the offensive line there's more investments you can make at tackle there's more investments you can make on the interior but you can get legitimate starter starting quality offensive line talent in this draft with their first pick in the second round and the guys that have been mocked to them consistently even in my mock drafts of late alex leatherwood of alabama sam cosme of texas dylan radens of north dakota state um jackson carmen of clemson who i like a lot as a versatile piece that can play tackle or guard you have um, Quinn Miners is going to be a really good center in the NFL. Creed Humphrey of Oklahoma. Kendrick Green of Illinois. This offensive line class is so much deeper than last year's. You know, people bring up last year's offensive tackle class with the big four. Tristan Wirfs, Kai Becton, Jedrick Wills, and Andrew Thomas. There was a legitimate cliff off of that. like The, the drop-off in talent at offensive tackle – after the big four was massive and this year it's not it's not like that you know there are eight different offensive tackles that rank inside pffs top 40 and you look at interior offensive line in that range of 25 to 50 there's a handful of legit day one starters at garter center that you can pick up in those spots and I think that's the move. That's the more valuable play, in my opinion, for Cincinnati. Value offensive line of day two, day three. Maybe even try and grab more picks in the area, trade down from two to gather more picks and fill more holes along that offensive line, and then take a high-end talent, a high-end weapon for Joe Burrow at number one.
0: We're talking to Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus, one of the hosts of the Two for One Draft podcast. I'm glad you brought up the positional value argument because I do wonder how you measure the impact of a great offensive lineman to me that that brings a tremendous amount of confidence to the offense, knowing that you have that guy up front that is going to destroy the opposition. Is that a difficult thing to quantify?
4: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's very difficult. Cause I think there's a mental side of it. There's, I mean, there's so many variables when we, you know, when PFF brings up positional value and this position is more valuable than others are really looking at, you know, on average, you're looking at these different things. There's obviously unique cases with injuries affect that, you know, leadership affects that. Confidence in the quarterback and confidence in the offensive coordinator affects that. There's nothing black and white in football, even though you try and say one position is more valuable than the other. There's nothing black and white in football. I think when you have to but when you have these opportunities, specifically for the Bengals at five, when you are if you look at consensus rankings among all draft analysts and media and even probably around the league, you have three blue chip players that are going to be available to Cincinnati Bengals at number five. It's going to be Jamar Chase and Sewell I throw Sean Slater in the mix as well. And then maybe Kyle Pitts if the Atlanta Falcons do pass on him at number four overall. You're in a position to grab a blue chip talent. I don't think the conversation is which of those guys is the best. It's which of those guys all viewed as very similarly great players gives me the most value right now. And I think that's where the conversation shifts for me. I don't think you need to pick apart the player and the evaluation any more than that. You need to look at, okay, right now, what takes this offense a step forward? What helps Zach Taylor more? What helps Joe Burrow more? What takes us forward more? And I think if on outside looking in, I believe that's one of these weapons. I believe it's Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts. However, that could be different in the locker room. That could be different in the front office. If they feel like the offensive line is what's going to take the step forward, then they do that as well.
0: Is there anything about Joe Burrow's strengths and weaknesses that makes you think that Pitts would be an ideal fit?
4: Joe Burrow's strengths and weaknesses is just like the most, one of the most accurate quarterbacks we've ever seen. So, like, getting him players that can make plays after the catch and consistently get open is what's going to help this offense the most. I mean, he's. He's not bad under pressure. He's not super mobile. So like you don't have the benefit that a Lamar Jackson, a Kyler Murray, or even a Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes necessarily has. He's good out of structure. He's creative, but not necessarily athletic or mobile and won't be a guy that you lean on from a running perspective. You need protection up front. You know, the LSU offensive line in that season won, I think, the trophy for uh, best offensive line in the country. You want to get better there, but you don't need to be elite there. You, know, you don't need to be elite in the trenches. You just need to be good. And I think Jonah Williams, year three, his development, I loved him coming out of Alabama. I think that is a good starter in the NFL. Riley Reef is a good starter in the NFL where there's where there's more glaring weaknesses of the interior offensive line. Add pieces there on day two and day three. Get better there. Even add veterans if there are guys still available in free agency. Continue to chase the floor, chase a high floor along the offensive line and then chase the ceiling at more valuable positions like tight end in this case with Cal Pitts available or wide receiver with Jamar chase, or even Devontae Smith, whoever they feel like is best.
0: Final question for Austin Gale from pro football focus. I've listened carefully. I also talked to your colleague, Anthony trash a few weeks ago. He's a big Jamar chase guy. I have been for Panay Sewell all along. I'm not sure that there's an argument that's going to change my mind. If the Bengals take Panay Sewell with the fifth overall pick in the draft, Are they making a mistake?
4: No, they're not making a mistake. That's the biggest thing with Cincinnati. You can't make a mistake at five with how many quarterbacks are going to come off the board in the first four picks. Three, absolutely, maybe even four. If you see a Denver or a New England trade up to four with Atlanta to grab a fourth quarterback, you can't make a mistake. I I think all of these players are blue chip players. If you ask any analyst, any draft analyst, any scout in the league – how they view these players they say they're top five, top 10 players in the draft. That's it. Like you're not, it's not, you don't want to split hairs between your fifth best player and your sixth best player. They're all really, really good. What you need to do again is pick the player that you feel like is going to help your team the most, most efficiently. And I do think the Panay Sewell pick is the safer pick, not because he's a more safe player. I like Kyle Pitts as a prospect. I like Tamar Chaser as a prospect. I think Panay Sewell is a safer pick in that you're almost his floor, Panay Sewell's floor is what you're chasing along the offensive line anyway. If Panay Sewell doesn't become Jonathan Ogden, that's fine. As long as he's a capable starter, top 15, top 10 player in his position, you've invested in a very valuable position that will play on your team for a long time. Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts, if they're only top 15 players at their position, you kind of busted there. You, don't, you, 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 you need ceilings. You're chasing ceilings with Pitts and Chase. You're drafting Pitts and Chase to be top five you're drafting Chase and Pitts to be legitimately in the conversation for best at their position in quite some time. So I think you're chasing more of a ceiling with uh, the wide receiver and tight ends there. With Panay Sewell, if he his floor is top 15, again, that doesn't hurt your team. It doesn't hurt your team nearly as much as maybe if Jamar Chase doesn't end up you know, hitting expectation or if Kyle Pitts doesn't hit expectation.
0: Great insight. From my friend, Austin Gale, not only an exceptional analyst for Pro Football Focus, but now that Giovanni Bernard is a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the man with the best mustache in Cincinnati.
4: Man, that's awesome. I can't believe I got the honor. That easy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My thanks to Steve, Mick, Daniel, and Austin, and that's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.